Hey everyone, and welcome to the Two Quarterbacks, One Team podcast. I'm Josh Lake, joined again with Josh Berger, and this week we have on Don Davenport, um, one of our newer writers over at Fake Pigskin, who's been doing a lot of writing lately about two quarterback dynasties and the best way to ensure that you win those year in and year out. Um, so we're very thankful that Don had time and was willing to come join us. So. Don, uh, I would, if you don't mind, appreciate if you just kind of introduce yourself and let listeners know a little bit about how you got started with fantasy football and then more particularly the two-quarterback format. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, I'm, uh, I, I think of myself as more of a, uh, a player who writes about fantasy football rather than a writer who plays fantasy football. Um, I uh, was invited into a league several years ago from a coworker, uh, and he, uh, you know, he, he said, Hey, I'm putting together a fantasy football team. Why don't you join? And I said, no, I really rather not do that. You know, just so many other <laughs> things I got to do. So, uh, uh, he badgered me a little bit and I finally said, okay, okay, I'll do it. So I sat down and started, you know, looking over what he had put together and it was a two quarterback league. Uh, it was redraft. It wasn't dynasty or anything, but it was a, it was a two quarterback league. So I started researching, you know, this little peculiarity, because I thought, you know, that's kind of weird for, for football to have two quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, I just sure. started uh, started rolling from there. And, uh, you know, as time went on, I, I became interested in dynasty football. And then, you know, somebody put together a two-quarterback dynasty, and I thought, this is the most fantastic thing in history. <laughs> I've got to keep doing this. And uh, I had so much fun doing it, I thought, you know, well, I don't see too many articles or anything like that out there about, you know, here's the rankings for two quarterback dynasty or here's the strategy for it. And yet I knew it. So I thought, well, shoot, I'll just start putting it down on uh, on a website and uh, things just kind of rolled from there. Yeah, and that's that's initially how I found you is your what I what I took to be your early writings. Yes. Um, I don't know if you had them at a different site, but. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely a nit- from the outset writing about the two quarterback format, mm-hmm. which is something obviously near and dear to our hearts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Berger, um, I didn't. Intru- I introduced you, but didn't say much. How are you doing this week? Um, how did oh. your? I will ask. I guess how are you? And then also, how did your Scott Fish Bowl team end up? Since we heard kind of the beginnings of it last week. Yeah, I was really pleased with a. Uh, Scott Fishbowl, and I think that just answered the other question about how my week went. So I felt like there was a lot of good flyers I was able to pick up along the way and <laughs> definitely kind of balanced out. I think we talked a little bit about how I was going pretty light on the wide receiver position, but as always, wide receiver has been crazy deep, so I was able to kind of patch things up as it went. How about for yourself, Lake? Did you feel pretty good about your, your team when it was all said and done? Or is it done yet? I presume you're done finally drafting. Your <laughs> league was uh, abysmally slow, if I might say. We did have one of the slower divisions to draft, but it, it is done, and I feel good about it. I think it's it has a high floor. I think I'll be a team that'll have a pretty good shot at the playoffs, but I I don't know whether I'll have the upside to have any shot at winning the whole thing. So somewhere in the middle, I would say. But well, let's. Nice. I want to kind of transition to some of what you've been doing lately over at Fake Pigskin, Dawn, which is writing about what you talked about the the dynasty format in particular. And you've had a handful of articles now come out about kind of an overarching strategy, particularly for startup drafts. But I think the articles you're writing apply more generally to just how you see a team in a two quarterback dynasty. Yes. Um, and from what I've 
what I've gathered, this is kind of the the overriding principle, is that quarterbacks stand out as far more important than any other piece of your team in a two-quarterback dynasty. Um, why? Well, there's an obvious answer, but I think that there's more nuance to it as well. So I'll ask, why is it that the quarterback position should be so important to a two-quarterback dynasty owner? Um, a lot of what I've addressed early on in the articles is uh, specific to startups, to primarily because that's where most teams either fall apart or become the champion. Um, if a team starts off with um, Andrew Luck and, let's say, Ben Roethlisberger, um, they don't need to worry about a quarterback for four or five years. And from that point on, they can look at the top running backs, the top wide receivers. They can look at other things. They have a lot of breathing room. Um, if somebody starts off with, say, Peyton Manning, who may be around another two or three years at most, I would say, or Tom Brady, who you know, is creeping up on 40 himself, um, you know, there, there's only a limited window where, you're, you know, you're going to have to spend your future draft picks on more quarterbacks rather than picking up those other pieces that you're going to need. Um, if you if you start with a young quarterback, say, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy, um, Brian Tannehill, somebody like that, or, or, you know, Andrew Luck, if you wind up with a really great draft pick uh, position, um, if you start off with that, you don't have to worry about quarterbacks for years and years. They're going to play for, you know, 12, 15 years or so, and you're just never going to have to draft anybody else, you know, subject to injury or something like that, like Tony Romo had a few years ago. Um, so that's that's kind of where I've been going so far is with the startup drafts to, to address that point. Um, as I go on into, you know, the, the annual uh, rookie drafts, you know, you can start looking at the at the wide receivers more. You can start looking at the running backs more. And, and really, that's things that other people are covering. Um, so that's sort of where I've started tr- to transition to in the articles. Right. And I, I definitely think that's true, that you can go to any site that talks about Dynasty and find about wide receivers and running backs. They are going to spend the bulk of their time there. So that's why I've really enjoyed the pieces on the quarterbacks and what to do with early round quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, Berger, I'll, I'll turn to you and ask, um, you and I are both newer to, to Dynasty. We've talked about over the last year that we've been learning the format and jumping into a lot of leagues and trying to pick it up, but obviously we are much newer to it than Dawn or, or other people. But from what you've, you've seen over the last year, year and a half now, um, how would you say the experience of drafting quarterbacks has been? Do you find the same, that drafting them early really establishes a strong team? Or do you tend to wait on quarterback, even in a dynasty league? Definitely with my first quarterback, I try to get one pretty early and uh, have really been wrestling a lot. And actually would love to hear Don's feedback on this about how much I really weigh in a person's age. Obviously a guy like Peyton Manning that, I mean, two years is not as optimistic as I'm willing to go. For him, he's going to really fall down my rankings because of his age. But with guys like Tony Romo, say, Eli Manning, people that are kind of in the beginning of their 30s, Don, I'd be curious for you, how much does that really affect where you rank him? It's something, because I am so new to Dynasty, I'm still really wrestling with myself. Um, if uh, if they're in their earlier 30s, you know, you, you still have maybe a four or five year window that you can, you know, plan on rolling these guys out. Um, to give you an idea of the long-term impact of a quarterback, right now Cleveland is running out Josh McCown and Atlanta is running out Matt Ryan. But Atlanta was so bad back in the day before Matt Ryan, 
that, you know, uh, Matt Schaub was their quarterback. He was doing okay, but Matt Ryan really turned Atlanta into the team that it is today, into, you know, a team that could actually contend in that division, whereas, you know, Cleveland just hasn't had that player to actually transform them into that. Um, it's sort of like that with your with your dynasty team. You want somebody that's, you know, if you're, if you're in a startup draft, you want to get them as young as possible, but as talented as possible. So that's where the, the Aaron Rodgers and Andrew Luck, you start meshing these things together between the skill and the age. Uh, Phillip Rivers is a great quarterback, uh, and he's even a great two-quarterback, you know, quarterback for a dynasty league. But sure. you, you've only got a limited window that you can use him in, which is maybe three, four, five years now. So that yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I I think that definitely helps because that seems to be the perpetual struggle in a dynasty league is do, how much do you weigh current production and how much do you project to future years, mm-hmm. um, which along those lines, um, one of the articles that you wrote recently was specifically about running backs and how to handle them in dynasty. Mm-hmm. And your point that you made throughout is that for various reasons, running backs have a very high percentage chance of, if not outright busting, at least losing a great deal of value, um, whether that be that they just don't perform, whether they get cut, whether they get injured. Um, What does that inconsistency do to you in terms of how you think about structuring your dynasty teams? I... Uh, well, specifically the two quarterback dynasty, I really focus on first the quarterbacks and then the longer term wide receivers. When you get to the running backs, you have to remember that, that players like uh, Arian Foster, he was an undrafted free agent. Um, he just kind of came out of the woodwork. Last year's primary running back for the uh, San Diego Chargers was Brandon Oliver by the by the end of the season. Um, they just kind of. Uh, they just sort of come from the bottom and work their way up pretty quickly as running backs go. Um, this year in the uh, in the Scott Fishbowl, I drafted uh, both Jonathan Stewart and Cameron Artis Payne because nobody really expects uh, Jonathan Stewart to make it through a full season as a as a wide as a running back one like you know George like uh, Jamal Charles might do. You know, just because of his injury histories, we sort of expect him to, to get injured and fall behind. So that's why you have to handcuff those players. Um, so for for running backs, I, I really put those as like the sort of back with the tight ends and the third and fourth tier of players that you even concern yourself with because four or five years down the road, they're probably not going to be the main guy. If they are, like, you know, Frank Gore or... Uh, you know, Jamal Charles or, or one of these players that really has hit superstardom status and stayed around for years and years. If they are, they're fantastic, but you're probably going to wind up with a couple of those on your team anyway over just taking those chances, taking those lottery picks that uh, that you can get. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, Don, and one of the things I really appreciate about your articles is that you really try to guide people really how to develop a team instead of just trying to go for kind of one or two, you know, superstars that people have the biggest star potential. I mean, the development that you have, particularly with the emphasis on how inconsistent RBs, uh, running backs have, to me, I think is refreshing because so often I hear about, you know, trying to get these megastar players and that's important, but at the same time, you're, there's a lot of roster spots to fill and a lot of starting spots to fill every week. And uh, it's just a great perspective. really enjoyed what you've written. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. And, to any listeners that haven't 
haven't seen those articles, they're over at fakepigskin.com. Um, the easiest way to find them, well, there's a couple of ways. One is you can search Don's name, Don Davenport. The second is that you can go up to the top menu and hover over NFL and scroll down to 2QB. Um, that section will have all of our two quarterback and super flex articles. So two easy ways to find them. I uh, definitely would encourage you to catch up on those. Um, I want to transition, guys. We've been talking about Dynasty, but also referencing the Scott Fishbowl. And, Don, you also have a team in the Scott Fishbowl um, in the same conference as both Berger and I, but in a different division. Uh, Berger and I both talked last week about our approaches and some of our teams. Uh, I'm curious for you, going into the Scott Fishbowl with its various settings, super flex, um, partial points per carry, before you started drafting, what was your initial thought on, or did you have one, on what your ideal draft would look like? Um, I, uh, I I sort of put up a a, a meme kind of recently on uh, on Twitter where it was the uh, it was the image of uh, what was his name uh, the guy from the Matrix, uh, not Neo, but the Morpheus. Morpheus, right. yeah. Morpheus, where Morpheus yeah. is is looking at Neo and saying, "What if I told you that you could start six running backs?" And I love that. It's like, oh, God, I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to just, like, slam a whole bunch of running backs into all of my other in, – into, into all of my competition. And go, look, here's a guy that's going to put up 20 or 30 points every week because he's going to get the ball. He's the only guy, you know, other than the quarterback that's going to get the ball and he's going to get yards and he's going to get carries. And, you know, here I can play six of them and they get, you know, 25 – or sorry, uh, a quarter of a point for each try – whether they whether they run a yard or not, it doesn't matter. If they get a try, they get a quarter of a point. And um, somebody said there was a, there was an extra quarter of a point for PPR too. Well, you've got you know if you have a wide receiver that catches 15 balls, he's a superstar. But if you have a running back that runs 15 times, he's average. So if you get you know really good running backs, if you get a whole bunch of really good running backs that run more than 15 times, they're going to outdo the wide receivers that might catch. You know, on a, on average, you know, between seven and ten balls a week or so for for a wide uh, wide receiver one. So I said I'm just going to take a ton of running backs. I'm going to jam them all in there, and uh, you know, it, I just happened to start off with the with the first pick in the first round. So um, uh, Jamal Charles was my guy. Yeah, and that was going to be the the next thing I was going to ask about, and I'll, I'll turn back to you in a minute, Don, mm-hmm. with Jamal Charles. I want to ask you, Berger, particularly about running backs, so leaving out quarterbacks and receivers. As we approach the redraft season, it seems like, at least with current ADP, there's a couple of different running backs, probably as many as three, four, potentially even five, that could be drafted as the first running back overall. Um, Jamal Charles, like Don mentioned, is certainly one of them. Adrian Peterson, Le'Veon Bell, if you're not worried about the suspension. Eddie Lacy is another one that's getting mentions. Among all of those, do you? how do you feel about all of them? Is there any that stands out at this point in the offseason as ahead of the rest, or are they all kind of lumped together for you right now, Berger? Yeah, I've gone back and forth a whole lot on it. I tend to have four guys that I would be fine with taking or I wouldn't see an argument uh, against taking number one overall, and those are Lacey, Jamal Charles, Adrian Peterson, and Le'Veon Bell. Because of the suspension, I just really have a hard time taking a guy 
first overall in an entire draft, especially in leagues that uh, may be a little lighter on the emphasis to quarterback position, like when there's PPR. So to me, I really liked Don's Jamal Charles pick. I tend to kind of bounce back and forth, generally going with Jamal Charles with Eddie Lacy being my number two guy. Adrian Peterson's biggest concern for me is, besides some of his behavior off the field, but also the fact that he's really been out for an entire year, and he's getting on 30, so that's a concern as well. Right, and that's kind of the my concern is that I think I can point out question marks with any of the top running backs, and I think that Jamal Charles, now that he's a ways removed from his knee injury, is probably one of the safer ones, along with Eddie Lacy, although both of them have some injury history in the past, Lacy has had some struggles with asthma that haven't seemed serious, but at times have seemed like they could keep him off the field. There's also questions about whether the teams are changing what they're doing, whether the whether Starks is going to come in for the Packers more, whether Charles uh, is going to be used the same way now that they have Macklin and Kelsey is coming on. But uh, I definitely agree that Charles is right there in the running for the first running back. So turning back to you, Don, you really took exactly what you said and put it into practice, really slamming the running backs and coming away with quite a few of them. And one of the things that I I noticed about that is that you not only came away with several running backs, that, but for many of your starters, you came away with their backups, not just Cameron Artis-Payne, like you mentioned, but you ended up um, with Javorius Allen um, backing up Justin Forsett as well. You picked up two different Patriots running backs. Uh, I wonder if you could speak a little bit to whether that was planned, that you wanted to grab the handcuffs or the, the team groupings at running back, or whether it was just kind of the way the draft fell to you. Uh, that was planned, actually. If you if you if you uh, if you really wanted to, you could go back and look at the draft itself, and on, on that long page where you can put out comments to the side. Uh, when I picked up Jonathan Stewart, I said, oh, "Now I'm going to have to go get Cameron Artis Payne, dog on it." And then you know another ten rounds went by, and I picked up Cameron Artis Payne. So you know anybody in my league could have gone could have <laughs> gone and got him, and you know sniped him from me, but. You know, I, I did get my back up to him. Uh, I think somebody else picked up uh, uh, Niall Davis in the 10th round, so I couldn't uh, back up Jamal Charles. But uh, I really wanted to make sure that I could I could field a, a running back every single... I'm sorry, I, I could field five or six running backs every week of the year. So that's why I wanted to make sure that every running back I got, I had his backup or I had another starting running back I could put in that place. Right, and you really do have a whole list of <laughs> great starting running backs, not just the ones we mentioned. You have Jeremy Hill, Carlos Hyde, as well as kind of the lottery ticket guys to see who hits, but yeah. quite the who's who of running backs. And I kind of paid for it with the yeah. wide receivers because I have almost nobody on my wide receiver <laughs> I got the old guys. I mean, I got Anquan Bolden and Percy Harvin and Danny Amendola just as a, as a wild card thing, but Sammy Watkins is really the only one of those guys I really have any faith in. Um, I noticed uh, both of you guys had Eddie Lacy on on your uh, on your board. Was that the 101 for you guys, or 10? Where did you where did you get Eddie Lacy in your ranks? Yeah, Berger, you uh, I think you took him a little earlier than I did. So I'll I'll let you start with what your thought process was, because for me, I'll just give the short version that it essentially is it was down to him or Jamal Charles for me, um, and that was my only two options left. So what about for you? You had more choices available. Yeah, I, I took him second overall, and um, as I recall correctly, I need to double 
go back and check. There was a quarterback taken before that. So I really did have to debate. I wanted a guy that I felt like had a little more bit of a team around him with Lacey. And so that was a big reason why I went ahead and went with him. I do feel like his ceiling is a bit lower than Jamal Charles, but I like his team. And so wanted to have that guy that I could really be, build the rest of my team around. And then from there, I actually did a little bit of a similar strategy as far as going running backs. But uh, I've continued to kind of waver back and forth. And honestly, overall at running back, uh, and if I could wait a few more spots, I would. I I feel like there's a lot of great guys in the top seven to eight, and I don't really see that big a difference between an Eddie Lacy or Jamal Charles or a guy like Marshawn Lynch. And so I kind of like the spots a little later in the snake draft this year. I, I tend to agree, particularly in the two-quarterback and super-flex formats, that when you're mixing in Aaron Rodgers and Andrew Luck in the first round, as well as Rob Gronkowski in most drafts, you tend to see some very good running backs falling to the late end of the first. And by then, you're not having to pick between them. Um, like I said, it came down to, for me, Eddie Lacy or Jamal Charles. Um, Adrian Peterson was still on the board, but I had already determined I wasn't going to be drafting him over those other two guys, largely because of the number of carries he's seen. Um, Pro Football, uh, now I'm forgetting who it was that wrote for Pro Football Focus, but put together an article on historically what it looks like to be an RB1 and how many prior carries those guys have had, and just so few that have had as many career carries as Adrian Peterson have ever then gone on to put on running back one numbers. And so for me, it came down to Lacey or Charles. And I similarly thought that Charles probably had more upside, but went with Lacey because of the stats that tend to show that a high-powered passing offense really establishes the run game. Um, but from there, uh, the the next thing I wanted to ask you about, Don, is something you referenced, the wide receivers. And with wide receivers, when you knew you were going to have so many running backs and then really have very few wide receivers and tend to get them late, was there something specific you were looking for? Like, did you go in and say, those old guys are the ones I want to target? Um, were there specific attributes you were looking for? Yes, actually. I, uh, I, I really wanted the, the, the forgotten wide receivers, like the Anquan Bolden, who you know, produces every single year, but he's just not a flashy pick. He's a guy, a guy that goes out, you know, I think last year he put up uh, 220 points or so. Uh, you know, he's, he's fantastic. That was more points than Sammy Watkins, but yet, you know, his draft stock falls because he's just not a sexy pick, especially this time of year when everybody's thinking about dynasty players and the younger players. Uh, I was really focusing on Steve Smith, uh, with, uh, was it, he, he's on the Ravens, I think. And he, um, um, you know, he, he's this older player who produces, but nobody really pays him that much, that much attention to him. And I think it was just a few picks before, I had him lined up that I got sniped on him. So anyway, that was my that was going to be my third wide receiver with Steve Smith, but instead I think I picked up uh, Devin Funches, who uh, should do pretty well in Carolina across from Kelvin Benjamin. I just have a little less faith in Kelvin Benjamin than most people do. I think. I, I tend to agree. I'm I'm pretty bullish on Devin Funches coming in and being productive this year. I, I think that we saw last year that Kelvin Benjamin is does not have a great set of hands. He's not a polished wide receiver, um, but he was their only target. I think that similarly they're going to bring in Funchess, and even if he's not super polished, having another huge target for Cam should be a great thing. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be covering uh, Kelvin Benjamin, sort of expecting last year's numbers, and uh, 
You know, if you got two big towers on either side of the field, just sort of like Tampa Bay, you know, there's not really much difference. You got Vincent Jackson and Mike Evans down there, and Devin Funchess and Kelvin Benjamin in Carolina. It's kind of the same situation. You got these two tall guys to throw to. Take your pick. Right, and particularly when it comes to the red zone, that is a great thing, and that's where you get fantasy potential is if they're getting targets in the red zone, you're likely to lead to, to touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, Berger, it sounded like you had some thoughts on that line. Uh, where were you going with it? No, I, I'm excited to see him. Mike Evans do well. Uh, I, I tend to be pretty low on Kelvin Benjamin myself just because of how inefficient he was. And I think a lot of people will end up getting stung this season because they kind of just looked at the bottom line numbers, um, the box score from last year, so to speak, for fantasy football, and haven't really analyzed how, how he's going to do. So, For me, I, I was bummed that I didn't get Funches in the Scott Fishball as well. Cool. Well, from there, uh, let's go ahead and shift to a segment that we introduced last week, uh, for lack of a better name, although we're very open to suggestions at this point. We're calling them quarterback <laughs> rap battles, where we take two of the lower-tier uh, quarterbacks, by which we mean they're below the QB2 range, at least in most people's rankings. And we take the two side by side, present arguments for why you should draft each one, and then at the end of it, say, okay, well, in the real world, if I had to pick between these two, who would I take? So last week, um, Nick Foles was the consensus winner. He beat out Josh McCown, and I don't think it was very close. Uh, so Berger's going to be taking him this week and kind of sharing maybe a few new thoughts on Nick Foles as well as reiterating some of the things we covered last week. And Don's going to take Robert Griffin III, RG3, this week and present the arguments for him. Um, so, Berger, I'll let you start. Um, we we talked about Foles quite a bit last week, but if you were going to say the number one thing going for Foles, so you had to pick one, we're going to go over several others, but what would you say is the strongest argument in Foles' favor? Uh, against RG3, I would say that he's not RG3 uh, and that he's a lot safer <laughs> of an option for where you're going to be able to get him. He's a guy, as we talked about last week, that really uh, pretty much has the job locked up by almost all accounts. This job is going to be Nick Foles, and that is really worth noting whenever you're looking at a guy that it's most likely on almost all teams going to be kind of filling in for your bye weeks or if an injury happens. When we talk about injuries, one of the first guys that pops into your mind is RG3, unfortunately. Sorry, Lake. And so when you look at Foles, I think that he does have a lot against him, but he's also going to be a guy that is kind of like Don mentioned earlier, that less sexy pick that will be able to produce decent numbers. I think when you look at Jared Cook and then you look at Kenny Britt, they're going to be targets that are going to have a lot of junk time and that will be able to put up kind of surprising numbers, not too different from when we've seen like Carson Palmer produce in the past. I'm not trying to say that Nick Foles is going to be in the top 20 by any means. He doesn't have that kind of ceiling at all with the Rams, but he's in a new system that I think will kind of cater to him with a great running game that will give him a lot of space and will make sure that the O-line that so many people have mentioned and kind of maligned for the Rams isn't going to be nearly as big a factor because they're going to be working so hard to stop them. So when it comes to Nick Foles, he's going to be a guy that you are going to be able to get very, very late and I think will kind of sneak in there and have some solid numbers. So that's the short version, adding in just a little detail here or there. (laughs) Okay, well, let's... Let's pivot from that and say the same, pose the essentially the same question to you, Don, that 
RG3 has a lot more narrative about him than Nick Foles does at this point. There was a time a couple of years ago that Nick Foles had a whole lot of focus on him as well and had a really a, an insane season, one that we are unlikely to see something like that again, where he just had the perfect storm of touchdowns, dropped interceptions, a great coach, a great team around him. Um, but right now he really has fallen off the radar, whereas RG3 has stayed squarely in the focus of the NFL, of ESPN. He puts himself in the in the media's eye quite a bit. What would you say is the most compelling argument for drafting RG3, at least at this stage in the offseason? Uh, well, i got to start by saying, uh, Berger, my friend, you are deluded if you think that there is anything that Nick Foles has over RG for RG3. <laughs> and uh, you know, I got to tell you, um, let's see. Nick Foles has, uh, you know, they had the option to to uh, to give him a good top wide receiver in the draft, and I think they picked up a another running back, even though they already had Trey Mason. Um, so I don't know who he's going to throw to. Uh, Robert Griffin has, you know, they they may not be wide receiver ones, but they're not wide receiver twos either. They're sort of like wide receiver one point fives. You got uh, uh, what is it, uh, uh, Pierre Garcon? You got uh, Deshaun Jackson that he can throw to. You got Jordan Reed or Niles Paul, depending on if Jordan Reed gets another concussion this year. You got a, a top running back in Alfred Morris. Um, you know you've got real true offensive balance there. Um, not to mention there there's a really there's there's actually something new in Washington that a lot of people just kind of flew under the radar is that. Now they finally have a quarterback's coach. Uh, coach. Last year, they didn't have one. The quarterback's coach last year was the head coach. And, you know, this wasn't his thing. So so now they have Matt Cavanaugh, who used to uh, used to be a coach for the Ravens. Uh, he's got three Super Bowl rings, two as a coach and one as a player. I'm sorry, two as a player, one as a coach. Three Super Bowl rings. Um and, you know, Griffin completed 68.7% of his passes, and Cousins, Kirk Cousins only completed 61.8. So it's not really a quarterback competition in, in D.C. It's just, it's Robert Griffin all the way. The team's behind him the whole way. And that that seems to be completely the case, which is a surprising turnaround given that last year, it was very unclear. The head coach was not willing to stand behind um, RG3. He was suggesting that he wanted to see more out of RG3. And then after a season that by most accounts was disappointing, the coach is apparently all in on RG3. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what that looks like. Berger, I want to ask similar question to what Don suggested. The, the Rams don't have the best weapons. We alluded to that last week that there are there's potential there, but there's very little in terms of proven talent. If you had to right now this at this point, middle of July, predict what the targets are going to look like, who do you think Nick Foles is likely to be throwing the ball to primarily? I mean, there's a lot of questions with injuries and whatnot, but what do you envision that passing offense looking like? I don't think it's going to be all that heavy. My guess is that there's actually going to be someone that kind of comes out of nowhere, or it may be someone like Brian Quick who was injured and obviously hoped that he recovers 
quickly enough to end up being a factor, uh, that it would definitely be a prayer if I'm actually going to take a guy like Nick Foles over RG3. My guess right now where we stand is that guys like Jared Cook are going to step up. Some of the running backs will continue to do more kind of dump-off passes. And then also I am optimistic about Tavon Austin starting to kind of take form, not in anything like the ridiculous numbers that people were projecting whenever he was a rookie, but that he will be able to step up significantly. And it's going to be a lot of spreading the ball, which I think plays fairly well to Nick Foles' skills. Uh, I don't think that he was that great a fit with the Eagles, and we saw a couple wonderful games out of him, but those were flukes at best. So something that is a little bit more uh, designed, a little bit less options to the quarterback, I think will work better for Foles. Okay. And, Don, I want to ask a similar question, but a little different. Last season at this point, there were a lot of questions. Uh, Like I said, the coaching staff really wasn't certain about RG3. Publicly, they were willing to criticize and to question. And then he went on to have a very mediocre season. For fantasy, it was a very terrible season where he put up very few points. He only threw four touchdowns in nine games. Mm -hmm. And although he completed a, a decent percentage of his passes, like you pointed out, He really disappointed fantasy owners. So I think the question I want to pose to you is what has changed between last offseason and this offseason to make people like him at all? Because last year there were questions, then he performed badly. Why should we come in with faith this offseason? Mostly, most of the... Most of the downside of Robert Griffin has been all related to his uh, torn ACL back in, uh, I think it was January 2013, he tore his ACL. Um, and, as, you know, a lot of people know that it takes a long time to recover from that. And, you know, the coaches kept wanting to roll him out early. Um, he made it through a whole year without re-tearing his ACL, and he kind of suffered through it. Um, and then at the beginning of 2014, in September 2014, uh, he did not retear his ACL, but he dislocated his ankle, which put him out for you know, a good part of the season. There were no fractures. There was no. Um, there was nothing that's going to be a, like a permanent, um, permanent injury for him or anything. Um, but he dislocated his ACL, put him out for a long time, and then at the towards the end of the season, he came back. And the last game of the season. He threw for 336 yards, and he scored one rushing touchdown, one passing touchdown, which may not seem like much, but it's it, it was sort of a it was sort of a hey, don't forget about me. This is still possible. We can still we can still put up 300 plus yards, and you know I can still rush for a touchdowns. This isn't over yet. So he's now two years removed from from his ACL, and you know the dislocated ankle was sort of like uh, you know that. The, the Forrest Gump where he says he got a million dollar wound because he got shot in the butt, you know. <laughs> now now he's had time to re- more time to recover from that ACL, and I've uh, I've got a you know people people that come back from ACLs like Brady for instance Tom Brady had an ACL back in 2008. The year back uh, in 2009 he was uh, he scored 28 touchdowns and and 13 interceptions. In 2010 he was back to 36 and four. So. It just takes a while to come back from that, and uh, this is good for him overall. Okay. Berger, I'll ask you, um, because we've talked so much about Nick Foles, I'll ask you to weigh in on on RG3. I know that you and I have talked about it some on our podcast, but a lot off the air, that 
you are higher on RG3 this year than I am. You do see potential there. So I'm going to ask you to play devil's advocate even to your own position. <laughs> what what would concern you if you're on the clock staring down RG3 in your draft this season? What are the concerns you're going to have running through your mind before you make that selection? You know, in a two-quarterback league, RG3 is a guy that I'm a little bit higher on as a QB2 option, very low end, albeit QB2 option. And I think the biggest concerns will be his health. He's a guy that uh, had great fancy football stats, mainly because of running the ball, which is a bit fluky for any quarterback and doesn't tend to hold when you look at guys like Michael Vick that uh, that just cannot last for that long. And RG3 fits that mold pretty clearly. Last year he barely ran for over 150 yards and was injured a fair bit. Now, to your point, Don, he is a guy that I, has been now two years removed from his injury. But I think when you're talking about a guy like RG3 and you're really sitting there on the clock, if you're going for upside, RG3 is going to be a great choice and a guy that you potentially could win you your fantasy league, which is huge and one of the reasons why a lot of people are kind of liking him as a later round target. But if I'm sitting there thinking, at, d- depending on who I'm going to pick, a lot of what I'm going to be looking at for me, Lake, is going to be kind of my team comp. How am I doing on risk factors? And is am I willing to kind of go all in at a QB3 option or QB2 option? For me, I like to make sure I have two quarterbacks that I'm pretty positive are going to be able to play for me every week. They're not on a bye, Lake. And if I'm picking RG3, then I'm going to be trying to figure out who else I'm taking or who else I've already taken that is going to be consistent because I can't count on RG3 for sure to be there. And that is, so here's my concern is I I definitely agree with what you guys have both said is that injuries have been one of the things he struggled with, both with the ACL, the dislocation of the ankle, and then coming back slowly from his injuries. Don, for you, if you have RG3 on your team, week one, how confident would you be to throw him out there? So ignoring matchup, I'm not asking about matchup. I'm not asking about any of that, just specifically how confident are you in him, his health, his fantasy potential that you'd be willing to put him out there in terms of starting week one? So that's very much in a vacuum, but what's your level of confidence just in where he's at both physically and for his fantasy potential? I think he would be a good dynasty quarterback too. Um, uh, you, you, you were talking about the matchup, and one of the things I looked up uh, on RG3 lately was the strength of schedule, and Washington actually has the third-best strength of schedule for, for 2015. Um, so that's that's just another thing. Uh, you know, you, you just add all these things up, and it's, you know, everything's kind of the, the stars are aligning for RG3. Um, I would be okay putting them out there, if it was something like Scott Fishbowl and I was only starting one quarterback, I would not want to put RG3 out every single week because I, it's just unpredictable. Um, but as a QB2, I think he's pretty solid. Uh, for a dynasty QB2, I think he's pretty solid. Um, I don't know what his contract is going to be like uh, you know, in the next year or two. I don't know if they're going to franchise tag him or what the what the whole status is with his contract. But he's still a young guy, and he was... If you guys remember, he was the number two overall pick of, of his NFL draft. So there's a there's a pretty high pedigree, and you know the team put a lot of faith in him. Um, as a dynasty quarterback, I'm you know I'm all in on RG three as a, as a QB two. Um, 
and I I have to say I love the optimism. I've I've said it before. I've been a Redskins fan <laughs> since near birth. I still remember very fondly the days of Mark Rippon and Art Monk and winning Super Bowls. And it's been a quite a long time since the team has been winning. You poor guy. Uh, <laughs> it's been a it's been a rough two decades. But I was I, I lived up in D.C. when they drafted RG three. I said it was the right move to make the trade for him, given the information they had, given the team history they had. But man, I am. I am skeptical. I am very skeptical. As far as the contract, to to your point, Don, the team did pick up his fifth-year option, so they're going to have the possibility of having him next year as well under contract, but then after that it was is when he'd be free. Yeah, who knows? Um, so <laughs> we'll see. Do they want him next year? Do they want him after that? It's still a lot remains to be seen. So the question I'm going to have for both of you, and Berger, I'll ask you first, in a best-case scenario, what do you think the the best-case scenario for Nick Foles is at season's end? Where do you think is the highest he could potentially finish among the quarterbacks in terms of fantasy points? Best case for him and probably worst case with a couple things falling poorly for quarterbacks in the NFL, I think even then you're talking Nick Foles finishes, he plays all 16 games, about QB 21, 22, absolute best case scenario. Okay, and is that, what makes it, because to me at least that seems like a fairly low ceiling. Um, We've seen him finish very well with the Eagles, but is that because of the team around him? Is that his talent? What makes you think that he is capped at kind of that QB 20 range? I think it's all of the above, like you mentioned. His team does struggle in a huge way to have someone for him to throw to. They do play in a division where it's been pretty obvious from the way the Rams have been moving that they are really going to focus on the run. And so maybe he could end up a little bit higher, but honestly I, I don't see any scenario that isn't really reaching, um, you know, some kind of like Josh Gordon coming out of the woodworks type sign for the Rams to where he actually breaks into the top 20. Okay. And Don, for you, the same question. In the most optimistic scenario, um, do we see RG3 going back to his rookie form and hitting those heights? Is it higher? Is it lower? What do you envision this year as his best-case scenario? I think best-case scenario for RG3 is probably somewhere around the QB 14 to 16 range, and that's highly optimistic, I understand. Um, I just think he he has all the pieces in around him that he needs to do that. Um, the question is, does he have the coach that that backs him up like that? Um, and, you know, does the does the coach use him to his strengths or does the coach, you know, still want this, the the uh, the statue pocket passer, you know, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning kind of guy? Um, that's that's really not RG three RG three strength. Okay. And I I would agree with both of you that I think that RG3 has the higher ceiling. I certainly think that for fantasy's sake, his rushing ability alone provides more dynamism and provides more potential for points in another way compared to Nick Foles. And then I do think that the, the receiving options around him are better, which provide another boost to his ceiling if everything falls right. I got to say, I'm still concerned. I'm concerned about injury. I'm concerned, like Don said, about the coach standing behind him. I just don't know what to expect. And the the emotional part of me is just figuring he's got to get injured again, right? We've seen it two years in a row. Um, yeah. So I'm, well, I have a very hard time. Too. 
No, that's very true. Yeah, his injury was just heartbreaking. I mean, you, you saw that over and over and over again on the news, and it's like, oh, geez, I can never trust this guy again. <laughs> and just the dislocating an ankle, just running out of bounds. Yeah. I mean, I was watching that game. I watch all the games, and just there. This is a non-contact injury. It, it's not one of those vicious hits. It's just that's concerning when you see a player that is hurting himself just running. Mm-hmm. But, so, but then again, back in the day, Matt Stafford had all these injuries, and you know uh, he kind of got over them, and he's been injury free for a few years now. Yeah, that's very true. That's As the saying team. goes, you're you're injury prone until you're not. Exactly. So I'm I'm hopeful. I can't say I'm optimistic, but I will hold out hope that RG three returns. So let me ask the question um, to each of you. Don, if you were choosing, assume redraft league, two-quarterback league, um, let's say you already have two quarterbacks that you can rely on fairly well. RG3 and Nick Foles are both on the board, and you have to take one of them. Which of the two are you going to pick? I would would easily take RG3 for the upside. I would take Nick Foles if I wanted safety, I think. I think... uh, I, th- I think Nick Foles gives you a lot gives you a lot less injury history, and uh, I don't remember. I, I couldn't even tell you who the backup to Nick Foles was, but I can tell you that all the backups to RG three. <laughs> they certainly have been in the news, and we're starting plenty of games last year as well. Um, Berger, same question for you. Same scenario. You have two quarterbacks that you can reasonably rely upon. Both RG3 and Nick Foles are on the board. Which one are you going to take? Oh, in that scenario, I'm taking RG3, no question. If the scenario was flipped around and I had a couple quarterbacks that I was fairly worried about already, then Nick Foles would be much more a consideration for me. But if I already have two guys that I know I'm going for, RG3 is definitely the upside pick that I'm going. And I'm. This will be another consensus week, kind of like we expected with these two. That I'll I'll take RG three. Um, for <laughs> me, it's by a slim margin. I I am very concerned about his potential as well as whether he starts sixteen games. But I, I definitely think you have to go with that ceiling. We know he has a better fantasy ceiling than Nick Foles does, and at the range they're being drafted, that's what I'm going to chase. Yeah. Um, this the time has flown by, Don. There's several other questions I would love to get into with you, not least of which is Garrett Grayson, someone a quarterback that I don't personally know a lot about, but that I know you um, really think highly of and think he's a, a good dynasty asset in two quarterback leagues. So another time we'll have to bring you back and talk about that and some other topics. But really appreciate you coming on the podcast tonight. Excellent. Look forward to it. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Well. Um, guys, you can, like I said, find Don's work at Fake Pigskin in the two quarterback section. But I absolutely would encourage you to to follow him on Twitter. He is uh, a Don Davenport uh, at a Don Davenport. He's a great follow. He's got good thoughts on there. Definitely someone that you should be following. Um, for the two of us, you can follow us at Burger Two QBs and at Lake Two QBs, and we're also at FakePigskin.com. So. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll look forward to uh, joining you again next week.